me to Ephesians. The epistle of the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. It would be wrong to assume that everyone is familiar with the Bible, but Ephesians is in the New Testament between Galatians and Philippians. Between Galatians and Philippians, the New Testament, which is to the right of your Bible, uh, towards the end there. So we are in Ephesians chapter 5, and today we will be in verse 6. But I will read... I will read um, from verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity, all covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Verse 6, which is our verse today. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. We now pray that your Holy Spirit may be with us and that we may get an understanding of the scriptures and be apprehended by them. And our lives, our very lives may be confronted by the truth of God's word, cutting straight to the heart. That those who may not know you may repent and believe in the gospel. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been going through, if you are new with us, uh, if you are new to us uh, today, we have been going through the book of Ephesians from chapter 1 and expounding throughout the scriptures until hopefully the end. So today we are in chapter 5, verse 6. And Paul, in this context, in this facet of Ephesians, has been dealing with the difference between someone who is a non-Christian and someone who is a Christian. The difference between walking in light and walking in darkness. And in chapter 5, we see that Paul exhorts the believers in Ephesus.
walk in a manner worthy. To, to, to be imitators of God as beloved children, you see it there in chapter 1 verse 5, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And in verse 3, from verse 3 onwards, he shows how to walk in love. He says, but sexual immorality, all, all filthiness, we have, we have covered what sexual immorality is. And all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you. If you are walking in sexual immorality, you are not walking in love. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul was saying to the, to the Christians in Ephesians then. That's what Paul is saying to us today. He's saying, Let, may there not be any filthiness amongst you. May there not be any crude joking among you, which is not appropriate for those who profess Christ. It is not appropriate for those who say, I am a Christian. And in verse 6, he says the following. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The title of my sermon today is The Deception of the World. The Deception of the World. And I want us to see two points from this text, verse 6. The first point is the warning to flee the world's falsehoods. The second point is the wrath that is to come upon the world. It's simple. You, can, you see it in the text there. Growing up as an unbeliever, the world I lived in was one of dazzling and alluring lights. It, it was a no holds barred world. No accountability. I could do whatever I want and the, and the state that I was in was the epitome of life. There was no one who could tell you what to do except maybe for your parents or the law. Whatever you did to be true was true. And the world that I existed was the world that I knew. Just like you have fish in the water, that is their habitat. You've got a, a zebra in the savannah, that is their habitat. And so a non-believer is home. This is home to a non-believer because this is the way of life that they are used to and they know. And friends, this is what Paul is talking about here. He is talking about the deception of the world. He's saying, don't be deceived that this is actually not what is pleasing to God. The system of the world as we know it is not pleasing to God. Look at how he puts it in the first point. He warns the believers to flee from the world's 
false notes. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Now, before I even get to that exposition, I want to describe mankind as he is in the Bible. Just in case you thought maybe mankind is good. That just in case that you thought maybe the world is good. And I want us to see who is running the system of this world and why we as Christians should So first of all, I want us to see mankind, the state of mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, we are told of the greatest tragedy that has ever struck mankind. Where Adam and Eve disobeyed a holy God. When God said, you must do this. You should not do this. You should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened? Eve ate of the fruit of the tree. And, and we see here the first great deception that took place. Adam and Eve were deceived by empty words. Listen to the words of the serpent. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's deception. It's like saying, when the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman, deception comes in when the world starts saying, God says one thing and we do another, we are deceived. And, and I want you to note that in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent did not coerce Adam, uh, Adam and Eve. He simply deceived. I, that is very important. We live in a world that loves to be, uh, you know, free of responsibility. When you are in sin, you say, well, it was the devil. It was the spirits. There's someone following me. <laughs> That's what we say. But we do, not take, we do not take responsibility for our actions. Friends, we are deceived. Mankind is sinful. The heart is desperately wicked. Above all, who can understand it? That's why the, the hymn writer of the song, Come Thou Fountain of Every Blessing, says the following words. Prone to wonder, prone to leave the God that I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's the condition of man. And that's why Paul is saying, he's bringing it into perspective. He's saying, he knows who they are. And he's saying, no, let no one deceive you. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 teaches that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. That's where death comes from. 
That's where sin comes from. That's where hardship comes from. That's where trials and tribulations and toil and diseases and failure comes from. It's sin. The, the, I don't think people understand what the sin, the, the fall of man did. It undid everything that God had done. When God created something, he said it was good. When God created something, he said it was good. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it became bad. But there's good news. He said Christ. The offspring of the woman was to crush the head of the offspring of, of the serpent. But the serpent was to bruise the heel. And friends, we see that the world as we know it is under the rulership of the evil one. And I'll explain this. I, I don't want us to, to be lost. I will explain this very, very carefully. Listen to what 1 John says, chapter 5, verse 9, verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse, verse 4, when talking about the veiling of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes this. In their case, in whose case? The unbelievers. The God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so friends, the reason why I'm giving you this background is for you to understand that when the apostle Paul says, let no one deceive you. He knows what he's talking about. He said that mankind is fallen and sinful and evil. The devil is the one that is currently influencing the system of this world. You cannot say in your right mind that God is prevailing so mighty. You go out there, what are people worshipping? What are people doing? What are people glorifying? It's the devil. It's evil. It's sin. It's against what God had pre-ordered when he created mankind. No one can escape the devil's net of temptation. Sin and condemnation without divine help. But neither can people escape their responsibility by trying to blame another agent, even the devil, for their own condition. At the same time, enslavement to sin is voluntary. Only God Sorry, only the Son of God can break this bondage and replace it with a life of forgiveness, gratitude, 
You see how you see how it all works out. So on one hand, mankind is sinful. His heart is wicked. On the other hand, you've got the devil who is influencing the ways of this world with his demonic agents. And so, therefore then, mankind is sinful but is a child of the devil if he's not a child of God and is living out the passions of his own will but is accomplishing what the devil would have him do. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that for ye were dead in your trespasses walking according to the Following the course of this world, right? And then he goes on to say, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Right? So I want you to get that. But God, understand this, God created everything in this whole thing. We have to understand it systematically. We have to understand the intricacies. We have to understand how everything works like. And friends, when Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words, then he is saying, let no one deceive you that these things that I've mentioned before are good. So that's what he's saying. He's not saying per se that, well, you know, he's not talking about swearing per se. He's not talking about false teaching per se when he's talking about empty words. He is talking in the context of his whole teaching from verse 3. And the context is that Paul is saying sexual immorality, impurity, um, uh, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking are out of place in the child, in, in the life of the child of God. And he's saying, but let no one deceive you with empty words. He's saying, let no one divert your attention from your main course if you're a Christian. Let no one come and soften the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let no one come and pamper you in your sin. Let no one come and, 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 and sort of cheer you on when you're living a life of godlessness. Let no one deceive you. Don't be deceived. And friends, he is actually warning these people to flee from the world's deceptions. Of course, we are in this world as Christians. If you're a Christian, you are off this you're not of this world. But God has put you in this world. But Paul is saying, let no one deceive you. 
consequences to sin, friends. And friends, I love you all dearly. And I will say this to you. Let no one deceive you with empty words, with foolish, vain words. It's common today that in the world that we live in, men and women call good things Paul was assuming, in fact, he was expecting the people in Ephesus to say, well, when he had mentioned these things, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, when he mentioned these things, he was expecting people to say, no, 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 Paul, you're just a judgmental. Let us live our lives. Let us do what we want. If you don't believe it, let me give you examples. Oh, let's look at examples. Number one, sexual immorality. What does the world say about pornography? The world says pornography is therapeutic. It's educating. It's emancipating. It's free. What does the Bible say? It's pornea, sexually immoral. It's sin. It's, a, it's to be abhorred. It's to be hated. It's destructive. It destroys relationships. It destroys marriages. It destroys society. Why are many people putting off marriage? Many young people? They're too busy with visuals. Strange people on the screens. You don't know them.
the doors of heaven shut. It's very serious. We can joke around and laugh around about it. But it's serious. There's consequences. Paul is saying, let no one deceive you, friends. Flee from deception. But we were talking about polygamy the other day. Friends, that is an abomination to God. God says, marry one woman or marry one man for a woman. See, there's a way in which we are meant to live this life. Even covetousness. What does the world say about covetousness? Or what does the world perceive? When you think of covetousness, that is why everyone is hustling, so they can be like so and so. You look over your neighbors, oh, I want this. The devil, Satan, is using that to deceive you. And what does the Bible say? Jealousy. You can murder someone. You can kill someone because you're conscious of what they have. Friends, we must deal with these things at heart level for Christians by the Spirit of God. There's so many things hidden here that we cannot see who are outside. God uses his word to accomplish sanctification and the means of grace for prayer. The world celebrates. What about impurity? Impure acts and desires. The world celebrates. Don't sleep on Don't
That's spiritual warfare. First Peter chapter 5, verse 9. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. First Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Stand firm in the word. Stand firm in adversity. When let me, let me give us a practical example. For you young people who want to get married. When it's time for Lohola, the families will start bringing up ungodly suggestions. Standing firm is saying no. Caving in is to be deceived. Look at Ephesians 5 11. Look what it says. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. When the world comes with the suggestions to you, you have the power by God's Holy Spirit to repel and say, no. And of course, this is at the detriment of your relationships. When you say no to the advances of the world, your family is likely to cut you away. We don't belong to our tribe. Yes, you belong to God's tribe. Number two, pray when tempted and deceived by the world. When there's temptation. Young man, when you are tempted to look at a woman lustfully, pray. When you're tempted to steal from your boss, pray. When you're tempted to do things that you know are an abomination to God, pray without ceasing. Ask God, remove me from this. Number, two, number three, remember from whence says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy with the great love that he had for us saved us from sin. Remember. And friends, one of the ways that God reminds me of where I came from is when I think about how terrible sin devastating it is to the soul. When you're in the depths and you know that God does not like this and you are there indulging, indulging and you have no peace, you cannot sleep at night. That is grace. That's God's mercy. It's a warning. 
have a serious faith. Fourthly, remember that obedience is better than sacrifice when you're tempted by the world. Remember that what I'm about to do, it is better for me to obey than to sacrifice later. Of course, God is, is a forgiving God. But if you fall into sin, the consequences are there and you have to sort of work yourself back up from where you, where, where you were to, to where you were. But you could have resisted when the time was there. You could have said no. I say it's better to obey as hard as it is, as painful as it is, it is better to obey when tempted. Because you know that you're pleasing your master. You're pleasing God. Number five, flee from sin. Teaser. Remember, Joseph and Potiphar's wife, what happened? She came in and she was seducing him. He ran away. She left, she was left with the garment. But he ran away. He got thrown in jail because he was obedient to God. <laughs> he suffered for not being deceived by the world and it's pulling by going to jail. There's a price. There's a price to be paid for Christianity. Meditate on scripture. Quote scripture. That is how you can be. When we're seeing, you know, Lord, put me on higher ground. We're saying, God, help me live above the, the, the dealings of this world. Protect me. And how do you, how does God accomplish that? Through scripture. Meditate and quote scripture. The second thing I want us to see there in the text is the wrath that is to come upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, okay? For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Because of these empty lies, God is pouring out his wrath. And how does he pour out his wrath? Listen to John Gill. In temporal judgments, in eternal ruins, there have been instances of it. It is usually the case and always, if grace prevents not, this wrath comes down from above and sometimes suddenly with great force of power like a mighty flood. There is no standing up under it and against it. And friends, you do not want to evoke the wrath of God. 
You may even say, well, Pastor Joe, you know, the sun is shining. We are well. You know, where is the wrath? And I'll say, friends, you have not read the scriptures. When Adam and Eve were, were, were banished from the garden, that was God's wrath. Jesus Christ. 
That's the first thing. Redemptive divine wrath. Why else would Jesus be on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is because God's wrath was fully put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he felt the full punishment of sin on him. When you say, oh, we, we love to sing something, Jesus loves me. How was that love expressed? That's through God's wrath being poured upon the Son. It pleased the Father to crush him. He was the substitutionary atonement. He was the substitute. He died on our sin. Oh, he died on our behalf. He took upon our sin. So that we may be called the children of God. Do we understand that? God's stayed anger. My friends, Christ received the penalty that was due to you if you're a Christian. If you're not, God's wrath is still on you. And repent and believe in the gospel today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you may escape the condemnation. The second thing that I want us to see is that God's wrath is, is being poured out even now. Look at Romans. Let's turn to Romans Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath is being revealed right now, friends, as we speak. People are being judged. We may say, well, we're not seeing it, but God is working in his own way and people are being punished for being godless, unrighteous. And how does he do it? Listen to um, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things, thus idolatry. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, that is wrath, that is abandonment, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. Friends, when you see people practicing all sorts of impure acts, that is abandonment. They're in serious danger. That is one of the ways that God abandons a culture, a people. He gives them over. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth of God, about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. 
for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Lesbianism. And the men likewise gave, gave up natural relations with men, with women, and were consumed with passion for one another. Men. Homosexuality. That, friends, is judgment. So something to be happy about. When if, if your family members are homosexual, you must warn them. I've seen people, well, you know, I've got people, friends who, when they're with their homosexual relatives, they even post pictures, oh, look, they're slain. There's no slain. They will be slain by God. It's not slave. That's the second aspect of God's wrath. Let me go to the third one quickly. There's the one day that the wrath of God will be poured up or poured out on non-believers when Christ returns. Revelation says that there will be a time when people seek death, they will want to die, but they won't. There will be a time when people will be fleeing to the mountains, and they will say to the mountains, fall on us. And the mountains will not budge. Amos says that is the day of darkness, not light. There will be a lot of gnashing of teeth. It will be not a good day for many people. That's the wrath of God. That's what Paul is talking about. We can live now and act as if everything is alright, eating our field, playing our games, playing PlayStation, going to the mall, mask this, mask that. But when Christ returns, all of history will be put to a grinding halt. And he will say, stop. It's done. It's God's wrath. And there's eternal judgment in Israel. Where we will, where those who are not in Christ, who will be burnt in the lake of fire and sulfur. I want you to look at a picture of what it would look like in hell. So that you just see a picture, you know, say, ah, brother, you're just preaching. What is this hell? Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. I just want to read this text to you. I won't expound on it too much. Verse 19. 
There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with souls, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his souls. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, number one, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. So there's torment, there's distance, there's a chasm. And Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this way. Eternal burning. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your goods, your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. So those in hell and those in heaven there's a huge separation. Do not be mistaken. Do not be deceived. That has been fixed in order that you, those who would pass from here to you, may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. First, there's no repentance in the grave. There's no repentance in hell. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place for torment, of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. They have the gospel. Let them hear. You don't need to go to hell to know that hell is real. You need to believe what the scriptures teach. He said to you, sorry, and he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31, he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophet, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Even if my dead grandmother was to come, to and I was an unbeliever. Her death or her deadness would not convert me. I need God. I need Christ. Friends, I could, I could speak about the wrath of God for two hours. But let me end here. First, the application to the believer, then to the non-believer. To the believer in here, Repent from falsehoods and be encouraged, be grounded in the truth, not being swayed away by every blowing wind. Stand firm, grounded in the scripture. Do not be wayward. Deal with sin in your life. 
fervently, seriously. To the non-believer, you are in danger of perishing. Repent and believe in Jesus and you will be saved. No one in the entire Bible preached more on hell than our Lord Jesus Christ. No one. He knew there's a place of torments, a place where the sounds of disobedience will be cast in. And friends, the fact that you're alive today it's a chance for you to repent. Don't, don't, let the don't, let, don't let the time pass. Don't waste time. You escape the wrath of God. Escape sexual immorality. Escape impurity. Escape covetousness. Ask God to save you from sin. There is no name 